Let us bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the blessings of the Sabbath. We thank you for the blessings of this recent feast. We pray that what we uh, certainly do here every Sabbath would be a blessing to you, that we would strive to always put you first within this ministry, that we would set an example of behavior and an example of dedication to you. We pray that your blessings would be upon your people. We also pray for those who are sick, those not doing well. We know that uh, certainly uh, people are sick here. Uh, We've heard from other assemblies that they too are sick, not doing well. We pray that uh, for those that are uh, serious sickness that you'd certainly be with them. And we thank you for all things, and we give you all praise. In Yahshua's name, hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's going to be back here. As uh, some of you know, my family and I, we were out last week, or some of us still are, but we're doing really well, just um, kind of rusting up the Sabbath in some of the cases. But um, we do know some are still not feeling well. We can kind of see evidence of that here and uh, still have quite a few out, I've noticed, this week. And, and, um, but I do believe most people, if they did get ill, that they are getting better. And uh, we have a faith in Yahweh that he will provide healing for his people. And as I mentioned, I uh, kind of made a notation there in the prayer. I do know that some of the other, I won't mention uh, names or anything, just uh, they haven't asked us to, but I do know some of the assemblies also uh, had kind of a bout with COVID and sickness. So just kind of keep Yahweh's people in prayer during this time. Uh, I know that a few people are in the hospitals, I heard uh, today. So um, just uh, let's keep everybody in prayer and pray that Yahweh provides healing for uh, those who are not feeling well. Well, today, I want to talk about a man we're probably all familiar with, and that's Gideon. You know, he's an example to us, in my opinion, in many ways. As we'll see in Gideon's life, as we'll see through this message, he certainly had moments of weakness, but he also had many moments of triumph, many, many moments of uh, success throughout his life. In many ways, I believe that Gideon represents a common believer, the common believer, a person who desires to follow Yahweh, a person who desires to do right, but who also struggles with things like faith and, and hurt. The story of Gideon is found in the book of Judges. In many ways, this book, I believe, is a good representation of what we're seeing right now in this, in this nation of ours. As we see in Judges, as soon as Joshua and the elders who knew him died, Israel quickly forsook Yahweh. They quickly went wayward. As we'll see later in this message, they worshiped Baal. They worshiped the grove, also known as Asherah. And as we see in Scripture, this is certainly something that Yahweh finds appalling. We find the phrase, quote, But every man did that which was right in his own eyes twice within this book. And it kind of get, it gives you a flavor of some of the uh, sin that we find within it. This again reminds me of what we're seeing in this nation, what we're see what we've seen in the last few decades of this nation. Instead of doing it Yahweh's way, we do it man's way. Instead of living Yahweh's truth, we determine what is right based on our own sense of morals. Things like the holiness of marriage, the sanctity of life are quickly eroding within this nation. Yahweh defines marriage between one man, one woman for life. 
Anything outside of this is an abomination. Anything outside of this defies and is in opposition to his word. Abortion is not a political issue. Abortion is murder. Just as Israel did, we are forsaking Yahweh for those things that he finds appalling, that he finds loathsome, that he defines as an abomination within his word. And just like Israel during Gideon's time, Israel had no clue. They were blind to what they were doing. They were blind to the sin, to the atrocities being committed. They were blind to the iniquities being done within the land. Now, for Israel during the time of Judges, we find the same basic pattern. And we find this pattern repeated throughout this book. It begins with Israel forsaking Yahweh. Again, they did this immediately after Joshua died and after those elders who knew Joshua died. They forsook Yahweh. Yahweh then allowed Israel to be conquered by a rival nation. Israel then called out for deliverance. And finally, Yahweh sent a judge to deliver Israel from bondage. Again, we find this multiple times throughout the book of Judges. It is a chronicle of what we are seeing in this nation in so many ways. Now, Gideon begins, the story of Gideon begins in Judges 6. Judges 6, and I want to read verses 1 through 10. It says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of Yahweh. And again, this was a repeating pattern we find throughout this book. And Yahweh delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which were in the mountains and caves and strongholds. So notice they had to flee to the mountains. They lost their homes. And so it was when Israel had sown the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou came unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they came up with their cattle and with their tents and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. There were many people against Israel during this time. Yahweh allowed that. Because, again, there's sin and their apostasy. It says, For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto Yahweh. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto Yahweh because of the Midianites, that Yahweh sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith Yahweh Elohim of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the house or the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drove them out from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am Yahweh your Elohim, Fear not the mighty ones of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. It begins here by saying that Israel did what? It says here that Israel did evil in Yahweh's eyes. When we consider 
that this book begins after the death of Joshua, or with the death of Joshua. It's amazing, again, that Israel went astray so quickly. You would think that the people would have remembered Joshua and the success that they had under his leadership. The land that they were able to conquer, the nations that they were able to conquer because they were faithful to their Father in heaven. We know that Joshua was totally committed to Yahweh. It was this man who once said, As for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. Joshua was utterly committed. He understood what it was to obey the one he worshipped. And we know that he was faithful in all things. But as we see here, Joshua's example and memory was short-lived. Israel quickly forgot. After his death and those elders who knew him, Israel quickly forsook Yahweh for false mighty ones. They pursued those things that Yahweh found abhorrent. Now, with everything in life, there are consequences to our actions. And we see the consequences of those actions here for the Israelites. Because Israel did evil in Yahweh's eyes. Because Israel chose to forsake Yahweh for these mighty ones of no stature. We find here that Yahweh gave them over to the Midianites. Gave them over to foreign powers. Real quickly, who were the Midianites? So these were descendants of Abraham's son, by Kidera, they occupied the desert north of Arabia and uh, southward of the uh, Dead Sea. Historically, we know that Moses went to the land of Midian when he fled from Egypt. We also know that he married the uh, daughter of the high or the priest of Midian. We know later that Moses and the Israelites were also at war with the Midianites. So there's a lot of history here with Midian and the Israelites find here in Judges that the Midianites drove the Israelites from their homes. In fact, as we see from the story, they lost everything. They were staying in the caves of the earth. They lost their food and provision. They would raise crops and they would raise cattle and sheep and they would lose those items to the Midianites because Yahweh was against them. Yahweh opposed them. As we see here, they could take no more. And they cried out to Yahweh for deliverance. Before Yahweh, though, brought Gideon, we find here that Yahweh brought a prophet. Yahweh brought a prophet to prophesy against Israel's sins. He wanted to remind them why they were in the mess they were in. The prophet reminded Israel why she was suffering, why Yahweh had forsaken the nation, and it was for the worship of false mighty ones. It was because they were doing the abominable And Yahweh said, enough. It's amazing to me how a nation like Israel could so quickly again fall away. It wasn't very far back when their forefathers witnessed the miracles in Egypt. And also the 40 years of wilderness and how Yahweh provided in the wilderness for them for 40 years. If anything, I believe that Israel's example is a great example of human nature. Just how it is to be human beings. It's remarkable how a nation could radically change within such a short space of time. But in many ways, I believe we're seeing this same trend within this nation. This nation was founded on, as they say, Judeo-Christian values. It was founded on the Bible. It was founded on biblical principles. And even not so long ago, were many of these values understood and embraced by this nation. There was a day 
when the majority understood what it was to be moral and decent. They understood things like abortion and homosexuality were wrong. They understood that living together out of wedlock was wrong. Or today, nobody thinks twice about living out of wedlock. What is marriage? Why do we need to get married? They would never even think about that. They would never consider being faithful to their future spouse. It's not even considered. They understood that a man was a man and a woman was a woman. They understood basic principles, basic moral decency they understood. We are seeing a collapse of morality. We're from Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, we find that these stories are for us. He says, now these things were our examples. To the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be you idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Messiah, some of them also tempted, and destroyed as serpents. Neither murmur you, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. And I truly believe that we are very close to the end. I can't know for certain if it's within my lifetime, but I do believe we are close. We are close to the end. We find here from Paul that what we find within the word should serve as as an example to us, especially to those who defy deliberately and openly Yahweh's word. If we follow in the example of rebellious Israel, we also will share in her consequences. People today, they are blind, as Israel was during this time. They are blind. They have no clue what, of what they were doing and the consequences those actions would bring. This is precisely what we are seeing in this nation. We are forsaking Yahweh's word, and we are oblivious and ignorant of the consequences and what that will bring. But Yahweh says here through Paul that we should look toward these examples and remember and not repeat these examples. In 1948, Winston Churchill, before the House of Commons, said these words, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. If we think back and we look at communism, we look at socialism, we look at Nazism, we look at these atrocities throughout even modern history, and now we are seeing these same patterns within this nation, and people are oblivious, they are blind, because we have not learned through history. We have not learned through the mistakes of the past. Sadly, I believe that America is following the example of Israel during the time of Judges, the same trend we've, we see in this book, we're seeing now in this nation. I want to continue on with verse 11, Judges 11 through 16. It says there, there came an angel of Yahweh and said under an oak, which was an Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Ebizonite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress, to hide it from the Midianites. 
And the angel of Yahweh appeared unto him and said unto him, Yahweh is with thee, the mighty men of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my master, if Yahweh be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all this miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not Yahweh bring us up from Egypt? But now Yahweh hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And Yahweh looked upon him and said, Go in this. Notice, by the way, here, says the angel of Yahweh, now says Yahweh. It's an interesting transition. The angel of Yahweh, now Yahweh. says, Yahweh looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, that thou should save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? And he said unto him, O Yahweh, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor, Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And Yahweh said unto him, Surely I will be with you, and will smite the Midianites as one man. I want to begin here talking just briefly about this angel of Yahweh. And again, we see here that this angel of Yahweh is also referred to Yahweh. As we'll see in a few moments, Gideon would react in fear to this angel. So who do you suppose this angel was? It's called the angel of Yahweh and then Yahweh. Where I believe it's Yahshua in his preexistence. From the Old Testament, we know that the angel of Yahweh was unique from other angels, from other melechs, from other messengers. For example, here's what we find in Exodus 23, verse 20 through 22. It says, Behold, I will send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not. This is referring to the angel. Provoke him not. Obey him. For he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou indeed shall indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then, I, then will I be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto your adversaries. We see here that Israel was to obey this angel. We also see here that this angel had power and authority over sin. So don't, don't sin against this angel. He will not pardon your transgressions. We also see here that Yahweh's name was within this angel. Now we know from Scripture that we're to obey Yahshua the Messiah. In fact, we see that also in Deuteronomy, where it says that, in, that a messenger, a prophet, would come like Moses, and that Israel was to obey that prophet. Now we know that prophet was referring to the Messiah. We find that in the New Testament. So we see Scripture showing that we're to obey Yahshua. As we find here with this angel, Israel was to obey this angel. We also know, of course, that Yahshua had authority to forgive sin. As we see, this angel had authority to not pardon sin. We also know that Yahweh's name was within the Messiah. Remember also that the word angel comes from the Hebrew melech refers to a messenger. Messenger. Yahshua was always served, I believe, as a messenger or a mediator between mankind and his father Yahweh. I'm not going to go much deeper than that, but we certainly find examples of that all throughout the Old and New Testament. 
of Yahshua serving as a mediator, as a messenger on behalf of the Father. So again, I believe that the uh, angel here is Yahshua and his preexistence. Now what else do we see here? What else do we know? We find that the angel of Yahweh calling Gideon to deliver Israel from the Midianites. Gideon responds by asking this angel why Yahweh had forsaken Israel. Have you ever wondered why Gideon would even ask? Why would Gideon even need to ask why Yahweh had forsaken the Israelites? It always is odd to me that that he would even bring this up. At this point, the people of Israel were in apostasy. They had rejected Yahweh. They were worshiping other mighty ones. As we'll see later, they were, were, they were worshiping Baal. They were worshiping Asherah, also known as the Grove, which were phallic symbols. The worship of these false mighty ones were especially appalling to Yahweh. Nothing upset him more than the worship of other mighty ones. With this in mind, why did Gideon even ask? I've wondered that. For someone like Gideon, it should have been obvious. But for me, this shows that when a nation accepts sin, that they lose their moral compass. And I believe Gideon had lost his moral compass. Gideon was oblivious like everybody else around him. He was so entrenched within the culture that he did not realize how bad Israel was. That's my opinion. I believe he was oblivious again. Yahweh's people are are not immune to a degraded culture. When a nation begins to fall apart, Yahweh's people too suffers. It is important as believers that we're vigilant in this way, that we ask, what I'm doing, is it right? What I'm watching, is it right? What I'm listening to, is it right? What I'm doing in my life, is it right? Because believe you me, we can deceive ourselves into believing that what we're doing is acceptable. When Yahweh's word says otherwise. And I believe that this was the issue with Gideon. He was so entrenched within the culture. He was so entrenched and accustomed to the sin that he himself could no longer understand why Yahweh would do such an awful thing to the Israelites. Now, how did Gideon respond to this calling? Again, Yahweh is calling him to go and release Israel from Midianite bondage. He made excuses. He explained to Yahweh that he was not the right person for the job. He said they came from the poor family from Manasseh and that he was the least of all within his family. In some ways, this reminds me of Moses. We see the same thing with Moses. He begged Yahweh to send someone else. Remember, he said, I'm slow of speech. I can't do this. You got the wrong guy. I think we can say that neither Moses nor Gideon were born leaders. Neither one really had the leadership qualities we would think of. But here's what they did have. They had humility. Scripture says that Moses was more meek than any 
other man. And I believe that Gideon shared in this meekness. Gideon shared in this humility. You see, Yahweh would rather work with someone who's humble than someone who's arrogant, who has a pride within their heart. And that's a lesson for us. We should always be self-examining, self-examining our hearts, self-examining our lives, asking, our, is my intentions pure? Do I have pride within my heart? Am I allowing pride to determine what I do? Moses had humility, so did Gideon. And that's, again, a lesson for us. There's one more lesson here I want to point out. Yahweh often works with small and simple things. And we actually see that theme all throughout this story. Yahweh works with small things. We know that Israel was not a large nation. In fact, in Deuteronomy 7, it says there that Yahweh is explaining, and he says, look, I didn't choose you because you were the largest of all the nations. He says, because you were the fewest. Now we know inevitably that they were chosen because of his oath to Abraham. That's why Israel was chosen. It wasn't really anything to do with size, but Yahweh always works with small numbers, and we see that here. We see this same lesson in the New Testament. In the book of Revelation, we read these words to the Philadelphian assembly. It says, I know your works. Behold, I set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. For you have a little strength. It doesn't say you have great strength. It says you have little strength. But it also says, you have kept my words and have not denied my name. Even though the Philadelphian assembly was a primo assembly, they were not the largest. They were not the greatest. They were not the most numbered. But Yahweh loved them and favored them because they were obedient and they did not deny his name, as we find here within Scripture. Paul says something similar to this. He says this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. He says, But Elohim hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And Elohim hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You see, Yahweh's not interested in vast numbers. He's not interested in prestige. He's not interested in pompous and great men. He's interested in the humble. He's interested in the weak. He's interested in those who are willing to mold themselves according to his image. So as believers, we should never be ashamed of being small. We should never be ashamed of being viewed as insignificant. Yahweh says, don't, don't worry about the day of small things. Well, let's continue with the story of Gideon. Verse 17 through 24 says, And he said unto him, and this is again the angel, says, I have found, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talk with, talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee. And bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until you come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephah, a flour. The flesh he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and brought it out unto him under the oak, and presented it. 
And the angel of Elohim said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and lay them upon this rock, and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of Yahweh put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand, and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there rose up fire out of the rock, and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of Yahweh departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of Yahweh, Gideon said, Alas, O my sovereign Yahweh, for because I have seen an angel of Yahweh face to face, and Yahweh said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto Yahweh and called it Yahweh Shalom. Unto this day it is yet an Ophrah of the Ebazarites. We see here that Gideon made a meal for this angel, for this angel of Yahweh. And that this angel then tells Gideon to put the food and upon this rock and to pour out the broth. And then we find here that he took a staff and he touched the food. And fire consumed what was on the rock. When this happened, Gideon realized, and I believe for the first time, who he was with. Gideon realized that this was the angel of Yahweh. Before this, Gideon must have assumed, I believe, that this was simply a prophet or a human messenger of some sort. What does this tell us about angels? Or it tells us that angels resemble mankind. It tells us that we could have an angel in this room now and never know it. In fact, Hebrews 13 verse 2 says this. It says, do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing... Some people have entertained angels without knowing it. I often wonder, you know, have we entertained an angel without realizing it? Simply by being hospitable. Simply by doing what is right. So again, angels often appear no different from us. Now, that's not true in all cases. There are some angelic beings. I, <laughs> we've had this debate here whether they're angels or not. I'm not going to explore that debate. So I'll say angelic beings. We certainly know that some angelic beings look very, very different. But as we see here, many angels look just like you and I. And it would be impossible to tell the difference between an angel and a human being. Notice how Gideon responds after realizing that this was an angel of Yahweh. Scripture shows here that he was afraid and was concerned that he would die because he saw the angel of Yahweh face to face. We know that Israel had a similar reaction at Mount Sinai when Moses received the law. They said, you go up. You go up. You receive the command. You bring them back down to us. If we go, we're going to die. We find the same thing here. After the angel had vanished from his presence, we see here that Gideon named the place Yahweh Shalom, or Shalom in Hebrew, as we know, means peace. It can mean other things as well, but here it is peace. And Yahweh said here to have peace, so he again names this place Yahweh Shalom or Yahweh Peace. Now, starting in verse 25, we find Gideon removing idols. And it wasn't just anybody's idols, it was his father's idols. 
You see, this hit real close to home for Gideon. So Judges 6, 25 through 29, it says, It came to pass the same night that Yahweh said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of all that your father has, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto Yahweh Elohim upon the top of the rock in the ordered place. And take the second bullock and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the grove which thou hast which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants, and did as Yahweh had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. And when the men of the city rose early in the morning, behold the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built, and they said one to another, Who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon the son of Joash hath done this thing. We see several things happening here in this passage. Yahweh commands Gideon to go to remove his father's idols, to cut them down, to destroy these idols. He said to remove the image of Baal and then to cut down this grove or the Asherah. The Asherah was a phallic symbol. It was a horrible thing. And here Gideon's own father had this. He was then told to take the wood from the grove and use it to build an altar upon the rock where the angel consumed the food. He then was commanded to take one of his father's bullocks and offer it as a burnt offering upon the altar. I believe that this was considered a sin or trespass, a guilt offering, to make atonement for this false worship that his father was engaged in. Now, what are some of the lessons we find here? Number one, Gideon's father was still worshiping Baal in the grove or the Asher. We see here that this pagan worship literally hit home for Gideon. He was with us day in, day out. No wonder why Gideon did not perceive the seriousness of Israel's sin. We also see here that Gideon was concerned about the consequences of removing these idols. And we find that there was a reason for this. For this cause, we see here that he did this at night. He did this when people were sleeping. I think we can all assume and we can all see here that Gideon was afraid. Now, fear is not something most people think of when they consider people like Gideon. But again, as I said, Gideon had many moments of weakness. Gideon had many moments of triumph. Gideon was a human being. And I believe in many ways Gideon represents a common believer today. We have our issues. We have our struggles. But we also have our desire, as Gideon did, to to pursue and follow Yahweh. He was reluctant to receive the call. He was afraid after realizing that he was in the presence of Yahweh or the angel of Yahweh. And he was afraid here and how the people would respond. Now, I say this not to criticize Gideon, but again, to point out that Yahweh often works with those 
who are imperfect, who are sometimes weak, who struggles maybe with things like faith. Now, starting in verse 30, we see that Israel was not happy with Gideon's, Gideon's um, actions here. It says, Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die. Pretty harsh consequences. But he had desecrated these idols. Because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him let him be put to death while it may yet be more yet morning. If he be a mighty one, let him plead for himself, because one hath cut down his altar. Therefore on that day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has thrown down his altar. After Gideon did what he did, we see here that the people of the city wanted to kill Gideon. Again, they worshipped these idols. They saw these idols as real mighty ones. And here Gideon defiled these idols. How did his father respond? Or his father said that if Baal was a true mighty one, that let Baal deal with it. Let him punish Gideon. Now this makes me wonder whether Joash, Gideon's father, really believed in these idols. Whatever the case might have been, he was still in gross violation of the law. He still had these idols. I'm assuming he still worshipped these idols, but we find here that he was not torn up, too torn up when this happened. You know, within the Torah, Yahweh emphatically warns against the worship, again, of false mighty ones. As a side note, this is also why we're so emphatic against the worship of these pagan modern holidays. It's a historical fact, and I would challenge anyone who would say otherwise. It is a historical fact that Christianity adopted these days from pagan worship. For example, we know that Halloween is a pagan observance that comes down from the Celts. came from a day known as Samhain, where they believed that the dead walked among the living. This is why the people would dress as the dead. They would wear costumes representing the dead, as we continue to today. It's amazing, the same pagan customs that were celebrated hundreds and hundreds of years ago, we continue to follow today. We also know that Christmas traces back to pagan forms of worship in Rome. Some of the observances is Saturnalia, Mithraism, and Sol Invictus. All of these days and all of these observances were connected to sun worship. Now, beginning, beginning in verse 33, we find uh, two things happening. I want to review this in the life of Gideon here. I'm going to read this from Scripture. So this is, again, Judges 6, and we're going to read 33 through 40. So Judges 6, 33 
through 40. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east, again, there were a great number against Israel at this time, were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. And Jezreel, the valley of Jezreel, is by the uh, Armageddon, or Tel Megiddo. This is where the armies of the earth will gather in the last days. It says, But the Spirit of Yahweh came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Ebezer was gathered after him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Ahab. He came up and met him. And Gideon said unto Elohim, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, Behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew upon the earth beside, then shall I know. For he rose up early in the morrow, and thrust his fleece together, and it wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto Elohim, Let not thine anger be hot. He knew he was testing Yahweh, really beyond he, his uh, threshold here. But he did this anyway. He says, Be not hot against me. And I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray you, but by this, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And Elohim did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. Number one, we see here that the Midianites, along with the Amalekites, along with those from the east, gathered in the Jezreel Valley. Now, keep in mind, you can have a real good view of the Jezreel Valley from the Mount uh, or Tel Megiddo, Her Megiddo is what it's called. And uh, you can actually see even uh, Nazareth and uh, the, uh, the amount of, uh, the, or several sites uh, there in the Jezreel Valley. And again, that's where the armies of the earth will gather at the end of this age. So at this same time, we find here that the spirit of Yahweh says came upon Gideon. It's interesting that the spirit of Yahweh did not come immediately upon Gideon. He was called to deliver the hand or the Israelites from the hands of the Midianites, but not at that time did the spirit of Yahweh rest upon Gideon. The spirit of Yahweh would come upon Gideon later. And here we find when that occurred, Gideon called this Ebenezer to gather men throughout all Israel. This included Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. We also see here that Gideon sought for a sign. He sought for a sign. Now I know many of us are familiar with this story, but to prove that Yahweh was indeed with him, Gideon leaves out a fleece. First time he asks Yahweh to fill the fleece with dew. Second time he asks Yahweh to keep it dry. Of course, in both cases, we know that Yahweh responded. Yahweh did as he asked, and Yahweh performed these miracles to show that he was with Gideon. And Gideon believed Yahweh. Now, I think there's a few lessons here for us. Even though we know that Gideon had Yahweh's spirit, says he did, says that Yahweh's spirit came upon Gideon, we find here that he was still concerned. We find here that he still had doubt. We find here that he still had a lack of faith. We find here that he still sought for a sign. 
even after the spirit of Yahweh coming upon Gideon. He wanted reassurance that Yahweh was with him. Like Gideon, I believe many of us also suffer from doubt or lack of faith. Maybe in times of testing, we find ourselves wanting our own fleece to verify Yahweh's with us, to put our fleece out there and say, let the dew fall upon this fleece or keep it dry. Well, I'm not trying to justify lack of faith. It's important to realize that many of us have the same struggles we find here with Gideon. And that's why, again, I say that I believe Gideon represents the common believer. He represents a common believer. A man who had his struggles, but a man who loved Yahweh. There's a reason why the Bible says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. There's a great promise for those who believe without having evidence. Sometimes our walk is... A believer needs confirmation for Yahweh's presence, though. Moments like this, I believe it's good to pray and ask for faith, ask for reassurance. One of the worst things we can do when struggling with faith is nothing. And people do that. People know deep down they kind of struggle with faith. They question their their belief, their conviction, but they do nothing about it. They allow that lack of faith, that lack of conviction to continue. Yahweh loves his people. Yahweh wants us to succeed. And if we're struggling in some way, and that includes a lack of faith, lack of courage, whatever it might be, that we should feel that we can go to Yahweh and say, look, I need faith. I need courage. I need conviction. I need passion. Whatever it is, that we should go to Yahweh and ask, and believing that he can do these things, believing that he can provide us with faith. I said a prayer, I won't go into it all, but when I was 18, it was a turning point for me. And I believe what I asked for, and I was tempting Yahweh just a little bit, but I believe that he answered the prayer. I do believe that Yahweh hears. I do believe that Yahweh can heal. I do believe that Yahweh can provide faith. I do believe that Yahweh can provide knowledge. I believe that Yahweh can provide healing. But we have to ask, and we have to go to him in faith, in concern, and love for him. Remember that our Father in heaven is a loving, mighty one. He cares deeply for his people. He wants us again to succeed. He wants us to be victorious, as they say. He gave us his only son so that we might have hope of everlasting life. And he did this again because he loves us. If we ask with a humbled heart, I believe that he will respond in kind. Starting in verse or chapter 7, Judges 7, verse 1, we find Yahweh now preparing Gideon and the Israelites for war. It says in Jerubal, or Gideon, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Hurid, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them, by the hill of Mori in the valley. And Yahweh said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. You see, Yahweh did not want Israel claiming victory. He wanted Israel to realize that it was Yahweh who brought the victory. Now, therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. 
and their return to the people, 22,000. A lot of people returned, the majority. And there remained 10,000. And Yahweh said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for, the, uh, the, uh, for you there. And it came to pass that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and Yahweh said unto Gideon, Everyone that laps of the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, him shall thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his, upon his knees to drink, and the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And Yahweh said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped, while I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go, every man, unto his land, or unto his place. If we do the math, we find here that Gideon's army was 32,000 strong to begin with. 32,000 men were with him. But as we see here, Yahweh wanted Gideon to reduce his army. So Gideon first commanded that those who were afraid that they could simply go home. And as we see, as a result of this, 22,000 men returned home, and 10,000 were not afraid. For Yahweh, this was still too many, so he says, go down and let them drink out of, the, out of the water. Another test, from this test, we see that 300 men came out. By these 300 men, we find that Yahweh would overcome the Midianites. Now, what was Yahweh concerned about the number of men? Why was he concerned about 32,000 men? Why was he concerned about 22,000 men or 10,000 men? He wanted Israel to realize that he was the one who would deliver the victory. That it would be through Yahweh's hands that the victory would come, not by their hands, not by their greatness, not by their strength, but Yahweh would provide the deliverer. Yahweh would provide the victory for the Israelites. This also goes to show that Yahweh works with small numbers. We talked about that just a moment ago. You know, in some ways, I believe this ministry is a great example of how Yahweh can do and what Yahweh can do with small numbers. We're a very small staff in comparison, very small staff. Some of us even work full time. But I believe that Yahweh's used this ministry in a great way to reach thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. Most we will never know. Most we will never realize they were touched by this ministry. But Yahweh can do amazing things with a small group of people. You don't have to be large. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be of stature. But you do need to be humbled. You do need to obey. You, need to, you do need to do it Yahweh's way. And you do those things he can use you in a great way, as he would use these 300 men to overcome a great, great number of people. So let's read about the victory here. Let's read about the victory of what happened in this story. So Judges 7, and I'm going to read 8 through 22 here. So verses 8 through 22. 
It says, so the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, into his tent and retained those 300 men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And it came to pass the same night that Yahweh said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Pua, thy servant, down to the host. Even now do we find Yahweh encouraging Gideon and realizing that he was afraid or could be afraid. And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Pua, his servant, so he is afraid, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers. There were, were just numerous, many, many people. For multitude and their camels were without number as a sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled in the hand or into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it. That the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath Elohim delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for Yahweh hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that I do, so shall you do. When I blow with a trumpet, and all are with me, then blow ye the trumpet also on every side of all the camp, and say the sword of Yahweh and of Gideon. So Gideon and the 300 men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had put newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their hand, left hands and trumpets in the right hand to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of Yahweh and of Gideon. And all the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and Yahweh set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled to Bethshedah, uh, to Zerath, and to the border of Abimelech, unto Tabath. So here we find Gideon's army. We find here that this army which was, was much smaller 
again, the Midianites and all those who followed them, the Amalekites, those from the east, it says that they were without number. They were like grasshoppers. They were just numerous, numerous army. Yahweh told Gideon to go down to the camp to listen to what he heard. When he went to the camp, he heard a man talking about a dream and the interpretation of that dream. The interpretation was that the Israelites would overcome the Midianites, that the Midianites would fall by these 300 men. He then divided the camp again into three camps of 100 each, I assume. We find here that they had trumpets, they had pitchers, they had lamps, and at the time Gideon stated they were to cry out and then do as Gideon said. By doing this, Gideon gave the impression to the opposing force that there were many more than what was, many more than the 300. But again, we know that it was Yahweh who gave the victory. It was Yahweh who gave the victory. In this case, it was certainly Yahweh who gave the victory. This was a divine and supernatural occurrence. We find here that he instilled fear within the people. When the lamps were breaking and the the trumpets were sounding, the people panicked, the Midianites panicked, the Amalekites panicked, all the army panicked, and they turned on one another. Verse 22 again says that Yahweh set every man's sword against his fellow. The, The NIV says this. It says Yahweh caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. You see, this was a supernatural occurrence. Yahweh caused panic and alarm and fear within the hearts of these men. This great army turned on each other and defeated itself. Israel did not have to lay a finger on the opposing force. So even though Israel won the battle, it was Yahweh who brought the victory. It was Yahweh who brought the victory. You see, he only needed 300 men to overcome thousands upon thousands. Again, they were as grasshoppers, and new, uh, just numerous. He wanted Israel to realize again that he was the one who brought victory, not Israel, not Israel's hands. I believe we find a few lessons here for us. Number one, instead of trying to gain the victory ourselves, sometimes we need to rely on our Father in heaven. Sometimes we need to rely on Yahweh for the victory. Sometimes we need to rely on Yahweh for the answer, for the win. Number two, we need to have faith and assurance that he is able to provide, and he can provide. And number three, we should never overlook what Yahweh can do, even with a very small number of people, as we see here in this case. You know, I think of Israel as a nation today, the modern Israel, the modern nation of Israel. If you study Israel's history from 1948, it's beyond amazing that they still exist. Now, I'm not going to go through all that they've had to overcome. But I believe that Yahweh has divinely interfered. I believe that Yahweh has divinely protected Israel. I believe that Yahweh has divinely made the impossible possible. I believe that he's given birth to Israel. And I don't believe that this could have happened any other way but by Yahweh's provision. 
There are stories I've read in the Six-Day War, for instance, one story, and I probably won't get it exactly here, but where it was either just a small group of soldiers or maybe a single soldier, but outnumbered, horribly outnumbered, and no odds of success. And then all of a sudden, these opposing armies turn around and flee. And then down the road, this story, one of the Jews, they... they they were talking to, to one of the soldiers, opposing soldiers, years after this. And he said something like, didn't you see them? And he said, who? The army. So I, I do believe that Yahweh has supernaturally, divinely protected Israel. I believe that Yahweh's hand has been with modern-day Israel. As Yahweh's hand was with Israel during Judges. As Yahweh divinely protected his people during this time, that time, I think he's doing the same thing today. So as we see here, the story of Gideon is not just a good Bible story. There are so many valuable lessons we learn. Whenever we find ourselves in a hard place, overwhelmed, or simply needing guidance, let us ask Yahweh. Let us do as Gideon did and ask, pray. Maybe not the fleece. I'm not necessarily suggesting we put our fleece out. But I am suggesting that we pray and that we seek Yahweh's guidance, that we seek his wisdom and his strength. We need to believe and have faith in him. We need to ask him if we lack in faith, if we lack in courage, if we lack in obedience. We need to ask that he strengthen us in that way. Or I pray that this message has been a blessing to you. I pray that, most importantly, that we will apply some of the lessons we've learned today. Whether that be praying for faith, whether that be courage, whether that be simply obeying the one we worship more fully. So I pray that it's been a blessing for, uh, for you. I pray that Yahweh be with you, that he guide you always, and may Yahweh bless you.